Welcome to An Unknown Adventure. I'm your host, Kimberly Ann, and I finally decided to jump off the 24-7 work hamster wheel to go after my dreams. I will be downsizing from my 750-square-foot mansion to a 60-square-foot van in the summer of 2021, and I started this podcast to share that process with you. I'm hoping that it will add value to your life. And the podcast, kind of like life, is ever-evolving. The topics I will be covering are achieving your dreams, unconventional travel, and minimalism. In each episode, I'll either talk to you about my experiences or I'll interview someone else about one, two, or all three of these topics. So hang on to the roller coaster of life for your unknown adventure. Welcome to podcast number four. Today, I got to interview Ellen Behrens. She's a retired software developer analyst. She graduated from Stanford University with a music major and worked in Silicon Valley, learning as she went until she became a software developer for Stanislaus County. She was born and raised in Modesto, California, the second of two children. Ellen's life has had some rough spots. Both of her parents had problems with alcohol, and her brother still does. Her mother raised her to be extremely codependent, by example, and Ellen has been diagnosed as chronically depressed since the age of 12. She's now 64 and in remission and living a life filled with joy and growth. So this was a really interesting interview because it really focuses on mental health, on childhood trauma, on past experiences, and how Ellen was able to turn everything around and now lives an amazing, successful, productive life. And she's happy, she's healthy, she's, it's just great. It's just a great interview. It really sets the example for doing the work. When you do the work with a therapist or on your own, you can come out on the other side as a healthy and happy individual. And Ellen has done that. So I'm really excited for you to listen to what she has to say. For more information about Ellen, she has a blog. It's called Common Sense Isn't Common. And that's also the URL, commonsenseisn'tcommon.blog. I will link to that in the show notes. And here we go on an unknown adventure. Hi, my name is Ellen Behrens, and I'm located in Modesto, California. I am a retired software developer analyst who majored in music in college. What were your dreams? How long did it take you to go after them? My dream was, and still is, to know who I am, and to be the best me I can possibly be. I was aware as a child, because both of my parents were alcoholic, although I didn't understand that till I was older, that life did not have to be as awful as it felt when I was a child. There was nothing wrong externally, but I was depressed from the age of about 12. 
And I felt bad so much and just had a sense that there really had to be something else out there. There had to be another way to be that didn't hurt so much and feel so wrong. So it was there and I tried over the years. It probably showed up about the end of high school, my knowledge of that. I worked at it and made progress bit by bit by bit of better understanding myself. I had some roadblocks along the way. I had a person who called himself a therapist who was really not and who sexually and emotionally abused me for seven and a half years. So where I see my drivenness to be who I am was that I didn't blame therapy for that problem. I blamed him and myself like any other abusing victim. So I kept working at it and I started having a little bit more success, but about five or six years ago, I suddenly started having a lot more understanding of what was going wrong, how much of my problems were about what I expected myself to be able to do, whether or not my parents actually expected the same, I don't know, because we were not a family that really talked. But I began to see that I was asking myself to do the utterly impossible at work, at home, at anywhere, and that I would never be successful if I kept doing that. At that point, I began trying to let go of some old behaviors or things that I learned in childhood. A few years later, I actually found an absolutely wonderful therapist. And since I had started working with her, uh, it's been going real fast. She is really big on saying, I'm doing the work, but it's really hard to do that work if you don't have somebody to validate it and to cheer you on and to support you and to be there when it hurts a lot. I basically, in about 2016, tried to let go of almost everything I learned as a child and start over again. Everything I learned as a child in terms of expectations, religious beliefs, all sorts of things that were confining. Also understanding that both of my parents were alcoholics, not just my father, which I had figured out. My brother, my only sibling, is also an alcoholic. It's very much part of our family. It's a matter of self-medication because of depression and generational passing down ridiculous expectations. So I retired in 2018 as part of having been doing the work with my new therapist. And I cannot say how grateful I am for that, given COVID. If I were still working for the county, they are severely in denial about the seriousness. And they, for a while, wouldn't let anybody wear masks. So having retired, I had all this time. And it was a surprise because I realized that a lot of what was a problem at work was me. Because I had the same problems when I wasn't at work. So I have spent the last year and a half working on myself intensely. And it's the best job in the world. And I would say that I have achieved my dream because I know who I am now. Yes, I will continue growing forever. Yes, there will always 
be something that I find out that surprises me, but I'm doing it. I'm not on the outside looking in and saying, I know something's possible. I'm doing it. And it's amazing. I'm really sorry that that happened to you with the first therapist. That's horrible. I really, really, really understand why people in situations of abuse feel responsible for it and find it so hard to leave. Because I knew from the moment I met him, I didn't want him. But I had been raised to think that anybody else knew better than I did. And I shouldn't trust myself. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And with your therapist now, is is it a specific type of therapy, like cognitive behavioral therapy, talk therapy? And... We talk and she also does EMDR. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She is awesome. I love EMDR. Can you ex- explain to people that wouldn't know what that is? <sighs> it is. It has to do with activating both sides of your brain alternately. And the way she does it in older practice they used to use your, you would follow somebody's finger and it would make you work on both sides of your brain she has a little device one for each hand and it pulses and they alternate their pulses and there's a beat in the same side at the same time so you are getting stimulus on one side and then stimulus on the other and you think about a particular very difficult situation and just let whatever happens, happen. And sometimes my brain goes to the most interesting places. And I learn about what some of the root issues are so they can be addressed and I can deal with the problems. And it is a faster process than standard talk therapy, in part because the idea is that the traumas get stuck in your lizard brain, your oldest, the oldest part of your brain. And as you think about it, while you are getting stimulus from one side of the brain to the other back and forth, it allows it to process and go into the thinking part of your brain where you can address it logically and get away from those feelings that you had when you were two or whatever it was. And the feelings that are, that are like fight or flight. Fight or flight or freeze. I freeze. I do not handle those kind of situations very well. I guess that I'm a freezer too, because I'm always like deer in the headlights. That's yes. That's what I think about. I'm like, yeah, earthquake. I'm not moving. <laughs> right, it'll fall down around me. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I think that turning trauma into something positive and a learning experience and even humor at times is something that we learn to do for survival. Oh, yes. And one of the things that I have felt strongly since I got out of the abusive situation was that if there is anything I can share, any support I can give to someone so that they understand they are not alone and that it is hard that I want to be able to do that. Are you able to do that? Like, are you doing that? I have actually become a priest in the religion I am currently involved with. And I have office hours and I do a lot of emails and sharing and supporting people. And sometimes that kind of stuff comes up or therapy comes up or medication comes up. I am on medication for the rest of my life. I am convinced. I really think we have a genetic mess for brains. It, we're chemistry, our chemistry is just not like that. 
if my current therapist and my psychiatrist work together, I'm willing to eventually try going off of them, but I don't know that I can do that. And that's okay. Yeah, I mean, whatever works. Did you inherit any, like, alcoholism or addictive behavior? I asked because my my family are alcoholics as well, and I did inherit. Uh, probably eating for comfort. I went to food, but my father did food, too. He was quite overweight for a while. But both of my father's parents committed suicide. One of my mother's grandparents tried, but it didn't count, of course, because she didn't succeed. She was only going for attention. So my genes are messed up on both sides of the family. And my parents never dealt with their issues. Do you think that maybe it's generational? Because oh, yes. my family doesn't look at their, or my parents' parents, or, you know, those generations. No, and I believe it has been passed down because my, I don't know that my father's father was an alcoholic. His mother was. His father died when he was five. He definitely had mental health issues. But whether alcohol was involved, I don't know. But I know that the next level back said they didn't drink alcohol and were temperance people, but used these folk tonics to extreme that were all alcohol and would be quite lost. So, yeah, I think it's generational. On my mother's side... It wasn't so much alcoholism as people-pleasing, codependent kind of behavior. If you don't be who I want you to be, you're off. And the women were very, very strong, and the husband was either not there or very, very quiet. What my mom and dad ended up being. And I think that's generational, too. I think it's, the, you know, there's there's something to do with, like, you know, our parents' parents not, there's no, there was no therapy or it wasn't. No, of course not. Father thought therapy was a total waste of time because the only people who went into psychiatry or therapy all needed help themselves. A lot of them do, but a lot of us do. But there are good ones out there. Just yeah. because a lot of people are crazy doesn't mean somebody can't help you. Yeah, right. And then I think also there was a, there's a lot of like just silent men like that was like, I, oh, I don't yes. know if it's that. I think it's American because I don't know a lot of silent Italian men. You know, I'm just picking a, you know, <laughs> one culture. English would be quiet. Yeah. Probably Canadian too. But yeah, yeah it, it's definitely a cultural thing and a generational period thing. But it also gets passed down from generation to generation. Right. So I kind of think I decided I was not going to. Of course, I don't have any kids to pass it on to. I was going to ask that, actually. I have a dog. <laughs> no, I, I have no children. For various reasons. Because of what I did not learn as a child, I had no clue how to date. I had no clue how to have a relationship that worked because all I thought was that I had to be whatever they wanted and how do you figure that out? So it just never happened. I'm in some ways very, very glad because I would have had to have gone off medication to have children. And I don't know that either one of us would have survived because life was really hard without medication. And when did you start the medication? After 
after leaving the abuser, he would laugh at me when I talked about the possibility of getting medication. The whole thing about what I thought was always wrong. Everything that made sense to me was always wrong or funny. And it's why I feel that the emotional abuse is so much worse than physical stuff that's like, well, okay, I can kind of shrug that off. But the emotional stuff, especially since it was just a continuation of the kind of thing I got from my parents, was hard to believe differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of gaslighting. It was. It was. Yeah. When I was in high school, my mom said to me at one point, don't let the boys know how smart you are or they won't want to date you. I'm like, how do I do that? I'm not going out there and trying to be smarter than people. They say something and I just automatically respond with, no, it's blah, blah, blah. You know, how can I stop myself from that? And why would I want to fake who I am for a relationship? And I could never do that. And I had so much work to do to be able to be me in a relationship and set boundaries and say, I will be treated well or by that. I think I was only about ready when I turned 50. And that's a little late for kids. Yep. Unless you want to adopt. Yes. Yes. Adoption, good thing. But no, I do have a relationship but he lives on the other side of the continent in Canada. Oh, that sounds perfect. Which me well, right now, neither of us can see each other. <laughs> we can't, Canada won't let me in. And he thinks if he comes here, he won't get to go back. But it really does work very well that way. When we see each other, we are really with each other. We talk every day. But I can do all of the emotional work I need to do. And that's what's really important. Yeah, that sounds great. I know. I don't understand why people don't like long distance relationships. I'm like, no, they're wonderful. <laughs> I really think that, I mean, I, I might be able to do a live in the same house relationship now and not sink into codependency, but it's still so close to the surface. I'm not sure I could. Yeah. I think there would be part of me that would start the, I have to take care of him first. I have to be what he wants. I have to not argue. I have to not disagree. And that's not good for me. Uh -uh. No, that's not good for anybody. It, I can't speak to anybody else. Yeah, it's in, my, in my opinion. <laughs> I would agree that it, it wouldn't be, but I only get to do me. Yeah. Yeah. I, good. I, I, good. I had to let go of that one. Yeah, good. Like, I, like we said before I started recording, you learned that. I still haven't. Uh, <laughs> If you want to be friends with everybody and let people who are not doing the work stay around, the people who do the work will leave. So like the turning point. Um... There are so many turning points along the way. It's hard to pick one. The fastest change was finding a really good therapist. But there were so many other little changes before that, like realizing that I didn't have to have a doctor who laughed at me or realizing that I don't have to do something just because somebody else tells me I should, even if they are a quote unquote life coach. If I don't want to 
change 47 things at one time, but need to focus on one, that's my choice. If I could have expressed that this way, then it might have gone better, but I couldn't. So I ended up being called rebellious because we would agree to things and then I would never do them because I couldn't even let myself know that I didn't want to do that. Probably when I was about 34 or so, I read a book called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. I had been raised an Episcopalian and it had always been part of my life and I had always felt somehow it was very important. But I had so many disagreements with what I was taught that everything that happens to you is part of God's plan kind of thing. Unless you don't want it to, and then it's the devil's fault, and then you can't have both. So reading that book, it was written by Rabbi Kushner, whose son, when he was three years old, was diagnosed with a degenerative disease that meant he would die by the time he was a young teen. And it was a book about, we say we have a loving God. How can something like this happen to a three-year-old? And his conclusion at the end was, the only way that you can have a loving God is that he can't be omnipotent. He can't choose to do that to a three-year-old child and be loving. So that was the point at which my brain started turning and saying, I can't take this religion as it's been given to me. I know now some Christians who are extremely, what I would say, Christ-centered and are not into judging people and are not into saying things like, there must have been a reason your child died or things like that. But I think there's too much water under the bridge for me. I would be arguing the whole time. I was. It was like, I want to be doing this, but not if you're like that. Kind of. And I would scare people by saying I argued with God all the time. I think I was much more Jewish than <laughs> I was Christian. But now I can see it doesn't, Christianity doesn't have to be that way. But I found another religion where I don't even have that luggage. There isn't even a word for perfection. It doesn't exist. And what is that? It's called comedic orthodoxy. We worship the gods of ancient Egypt. And the language that we're working with is what's called Middle Egyptian. And the word that they use that we translate as perfect is also the same word that was used for zero because there was no such thing as zero until the Arabs invented it. So it's kind of like this concept that there's something, but it's not really real. It's not expected of you and the gods are not perfect and it's just so much easier for me to find love and support without having all the baggage. And it's one of the oldest religions. Yes. And really? a lot of things that, if you look at the Coptic Orthodox Church, they still do a lot of things based on things from that area. Mm -hmm. And there are even a lot of concepts that are very, very similar. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of religions have those. Mm -hmm. And... I have no problem with people worshiping other deities. Our religion is not a proselytizing religion. We don't go out looking for people. We don't say, you have to be us or you're going to wherever. Unfortunately, my brother is one of those who is the, Jesus is the only way, blah, 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 blah. And because of that and his alcoholism and his inability to really have a conversation, we don't really keep in touch anymore. 
even though we live in the same town. Is he older or younger? Five and a half years older. Older. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I always say your family are who you make, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Family of choice. I have family of choice. Yeah. I just find it really sad that we were both affected so much and we can't support each other. Yeah. Well, I haven't ever met anyone that follows that religion, so that's super cool. Yeah. And one of the things that I found out after my mother died, when I was going through all the paperwork, was that my father canceled the bills of about a third of his patients, gave them their anesthesia for free because he felt they couldn't afford it. And I had been doing things like that, not, I mean, I don't have anesthesia, I don't bill anyone. But I had been paying for people to go to retreats or helping them do X, Y, Z or whatever for years. And to find out that we actually have that kind of thing in common was really interesting to me. Yeah, that's cool. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's nice. I mean, you know, even bad people can do good things, right? (laughs) Well, he, he was a really good person in some ways. And a really bad father. He was one of the founders of a hospital that opened in 1963, I believe. So when I was six years old. And I worked in that hospital for nine months while I took time off from college while he was still working there. And we would see each other. He'd be doing his rounds and I'd see him. And it was, that's the happiest I ever saw him. That was his environment. That was his place. And this last January, I started working as a volunteer at the hospital. And I can feel him there. Mm. It was really hard that when COVID hit, they told us we can't volunteer anymore. Which makes sense because most of the volunteers are older than I am and in less good shape. But it was really nice to be able to be there and remember that. Yeah, I could see that. We didn't touch on, like, the responses that you you get from people. I have a wonderful support team, a craniosacral therapist who found me, my psychotherapist, doctor that I adore, and other people around that I can say I'm having a bad day to and all that sort of stuff. So they're very, very positive. Other people who are just friends understand it. I would say my... Parents never knew what I was doing. They didn't, they, they wouldn't have understood if I said, I want to know who I am. You're you. (laughs) So there are people who get it and there are people who don't. And again, I'm not responsible for their response. I am only responsible for being me. And sometimes people surprise me and they're actually a lot more positive than I would think they would be, which is really nice. Yeah. It, it helps letting go of the, if I don't be exactly who I think you want me to be, you won't like me. And it's like, well, then don't like me. <laughs> but that's hard to come to as a child, and it's hard to let go of if you've done it all your life. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I burst out laughing. I used to think, literally, that I would find myself who I was supposed to be in somebody's list outside of myself, like, here's what the church thinks I should be. Here's what this group thinks I should be. Here's what my educational people think I should be. Here's what my therapist thinks I should be. And I was sitting one day thinking about things 
And it occurred to me that who I am is as simple as doing what I want to do. Nobody outside of me, nobody's list, nobody's nothing. What do I want to do? And I laughed so hard that I had made it such an impossible decision when it was, I was looking in the completely wrong place. I find that in other places that I'm looking outside of myself for the answer and the answer is within me. When I let go of I'm looking for love outside and started loving myself was when I found my partner. But that's hard. It's not easy to say, okay, I'm just going to be happy. I don't need another person. I'm just going to be happy. This is the life I have. I am happy now. And actually mean it. Then again, I have been extremely fortunate and blessed that because of my parents, my father, father's work, I have been able to retire early. I do have a pension from the county and I have my IRA and stuff like that, but I am able to live a very nice life without having to work for somebody and be what they want. And I have had more joy in the last couple of years than I've had in the rest of my life totally. Well, and, and do you think that a lot of coming to like accepting yourself for who you are and seeing yourself and loving yourself came from meditation? I would say no, because I think I started seeing it before I started being regular with meditation. It came with self-examination, not the being quiet and listening to the inner voice so much as looking at what I believed and seeing if it made sense. Does it make sense to think I should be able to do something I've never been taught to do? No, it doesn't. The fact that sometimes I can is nice. But if I have a supervisor who expects me to learn something for which there are no resources, and he goes on a month-long vacation, me expecting to be able to do that is kind of silly because it's not really possible. So looking at myself and saying, why am I upset here? What is bothering me here? Why is this such a problem? And learning to journaling has has been really helpful. Journaling is one of the things that I use a lot. Really writing and writing and writing until I have the aha, that's it. To say, you know, that's really not humanly possible. That That's ridiculous. That's what? No, don't ask yourself to do the ridiculously impossible stuff. So self-examination and looking at not just this is what I, I have decided is true, but more the am I making assumptions? Do I have expectations of another person that are unreasonable or of myself? that are unreasonable. The kind of thing like somebody walks past you and they're frowning. The instant feeling of, oh, they don't like me anymore, which is the kind of thing I used to do. And looking at it now is like, excuse me, are you that big in anybody's life? Being able to see that's an assumption and don't assume. Even if I'm right, they should tell me because that's communication and communication is important. I am not a mind reader. I'm not a psychic, even though my parents wanted me to be one. People need to tell me what they want. I need to tell them what I want. We need to talk about stuff. That is really what started it, is that ability to do that kind of self-examination and accept things that felt really scary and wrong. Like, I don't have to be perfect, but I've spent my whole life trying to be perfect. Who's perfect? I mean, not who's as in who is, but 
which person's perfect because nobody thinks the same thing. How can you be perfect? You can't. Everybody wants something different. So stop being kind of so self-centered, self-focused, self. I'm assuming I'm the center of the world and look at it as, is this really reasonable? Ellen? made such a big difference. Honestly, stopping being responsible for things that I am not responsible for was also a really big step. When the desert storm war started, I knew exactly where I was and exactly what I was doing. I was out in the middle of a field, having finished working with my puppy, nine-month-old puppy, training him to track. And we got out there and, and done stuff, and I had things, lessons we followed and things like that. And we came back, and I put him in the car, and I got in the car, and I turned on the radio, and they announced the war had started. My first thought, it's my fault. I paused, and I said, no, it's not just mine. It's a bunch of our faults, but I am part of the people at fault because we hadn't prayed right. And I told that to somebody later, and they were like, so who gave you all that power? And I'm like, no, they didn't, did they? And understanding that I'm not responsible for that. I'm responsible for me right here, right now. Let the people who are responsible, and that can be my parents. That can be my, my manager refusing to believe me. That's her responsibility. It's not my problem. Learning to say, this is my problem. I did something that hurt somebody. I don't want to go talk to them and apologize, but that's my responsibility. So doing the hard things that are actually possible in my stuff is much more important than being responsible for other people's stuff that you really can't change. True. Okay. I like it. Uh, anything else that you want to tell people? Anything else to say is keep trying and trust yourself. You're the one who knows you. You're the only one who knows you. Anybody else brainwash. That's good advice. If your present day self could give your 10-year-old self when you were 10 years old one piece of advice or wisdom, what would it be? Believe in yourself. Trust yourself. Same thing to me. Okay. I like it. Well, thank you. My poor dog has been crying outside the, the door. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this interview with Ellen Behrens, and she does have a blog. You can find it uh, in the show notes, and it is commonsenseisn'tcommon.blog, which is just a fantastic name for a blog, and I'm really excited that we got to talk to her, and thank you so much for being here. If you liked what you heard, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts is also highly appreciated. You can find me and more information about AUA on anunknownadventure.com. I do try to leave extensive show notes, including links to everything we talked about today. But if you have any questions or just want to say hi, please do reach out to me on Instagram or my website. And my Instagram is also anunknownadventure. Your adventure awaits, and I'll be looking for you on your personal road of dreams. Uh, 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 uh.